0: This is a WISP Politics audio clip. For more, please go to Wisppolitics.com. So, I welcome Congressman Mike Gallagher from the 8th Congressional District in the Green Bay Area. Welcome. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep uh, this in my hand so I don't have to put a mask on. Seems like a big loophole in the whole uh, system. And for you guys, I think the strategy is... Just keep drinking coffee until noon, and you don't have to wear a mask, and then start drinking beer at noon, you would be mask-free all day. Um, i uh, It's great to be with you. It's great to see a, a lot of friends. Uh, I'll try and be brief, uh, and then we can do Q&A. Uh, my staff sort of printed out a, a beautiful speech I was supposed to give, and I promptly did not read that. Uh, sorry, Jordan. Uh, I'm getting a little lax now that I'm in my fifth year in Congress. Uh, but I'm now getting a good reminder of how important it is to be careful about what you say, because my daughter, as our first child, is 16 months old and she just repeats everything we say. A few weeks ago when we were playing the Bears in the infamous Roger Still Owns You game, we were losing in the first quarter and I was watching at home and my wife came downstairs and I'm like, honey, we're kicking our butts. And my daughter's like, butts, butts, butts. So, We've had to uh, excise all profanity from our diction. It's very difficult in an Irish Catholic household. But uh, I figured just briefly kind of give you the political lay of the land and then we can talk about a few things leading into the Endless Frontiers discussion. And I really appreciate you and, and our panelists for, uh, for engaging in such a discussion. This has been a bill that's a few years in the making and uh, it's gonna be difficult to get across the finish line. But with your help and, and the promotion of it back home, in Wisconsin, we've really come a long way. And so I do sincerely appreciate that. Uh, Obviously, I think the big question of the day or or the last two weeks, and certainly it was the question we were asking ourselves all day Thursday and Friday last week when we were just kind of sitting around waiting for the white smoke to emerge from the middle of the Capitol was whether the Democrats are gonna get a deal on uh, infrastructure and then reconciliation. And quite honestly, I don't know what the answer to that question is. I don't know what's gonna change. We're sort of engaged in this weird game of chicken or or prisoner's dilemma and without trust between kind of the mansion cinema wing and the moderates and the progressive caucus of which Mark Pocan plays a very significant, uh, in which Mark Pocan plays a very significant role, I just don't see how they move forward, right? Because if they vote on the infrastructure bill, uh, with just a promise about doing reconciliation later. I don't see why the progressives would go along with that. So I, I fear that you were expecting me to give you some big insider information about what's going to happen uh, this week. I ha- I have no clue. Uh, anything could happen or, or nothing uh, could happen. And I do think the Virginia governor's race... Uh, today is going to play a big role in affecting that, Uh, particularly if Glenn Youngkin wins, I think it could really diminish the prospects for the reconciliation bill moving forward. And we'll see at that point if uh, there's an appetite to just do the infrastructure bill. Um, And the stakes are high for the Biden administration, right? One could argue that this is kind of the president's entire uh, legacy, certainly in the first term, and will make it harder to get a second term if they don't get something passed. So uh, I'm not bringing it up to suggest that as a Republican, I'm like sitting back with schadenfreude and popcorn and watching this happen joyfully. Because I do think that on some level, this speaks to a bigger dysfunction uh, in, in Congress, right? It, it seems that both parties in some sense have concluded that the only way to get things done is by just jamming things through on a reconciliation bill. Uh, and that's unfortunate because if you look at the history of reconciliation, that's not what it was intended for, it was intended as a cost-saving mechanism. And I think particularly when the country is as divided as it is right now, and make no mistake, I mean, obviously we're from Wisconsin, we understand that, very purple state that goes back and forth. It's a mistake to to do things that way. Uh, You know, The House were a few seats difference in in terms of the Democrats having the majority. The Senate's deadlocked at 50-50. I don't see how you could look at the 2020 election as really a mandate for anything other than to pump the brakes and let's kind of figure out what are the low-hanging fruit that people agree upon that we can um, that we can pass. Uh, and then add on to that, there are ways in which, and you've all heard me lecture about this ad nauseum in past years, so I won't bore you again, in which the institution of Congress, and particularly the budget process uh, and the Appropriations Committee versus the Authorizing Committees has totally broken down. It made it very difficult to kind of go through that normal process of you're supposed to pass 12 separate appropriations bills you're supposed to do it on time you're not supposed to leave everything until December 24th in a 10,000 page bill that nobody reads uh, and things like that. So regardless of what happens I do think it's a further reminder of whether you're a Republican, Democrat, independent, you know, Green Party, libertarian, you should have an interest in fixing the institution here and reforming how we go about our business in Congress. Cause it's, it's very dysfunctional. Proxy voting has made it work worse. We have hundreds of members that are not even showing up. Uh, proxy voting was instituted in the early days of the pandemic. So that people would have to physically show up if they felt like their health was threatened. Now it's being abused. People are signing their name to a piece of paper saying, I am unable to show up on the house floor because of the ongoing coronavirus emergency. And then they're jetting off to go to fundraisers. They're already vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. It's a complete abuse of the system. It's unconstitutional. And so a variety of things we needed to do to get that under control. I promise I won't be a downer for the entire morning, okay? Uh, and I bring that up only to suggest that uh, it was going to be difficult enough to get the Endless Frontiers bill passed uh and a version of it passed in the senate in the usica bill i forget what the acronym stands for you always need a really silly acronym uh when you're naming a bill um uh but uh it basically was endless frontiers combines with funding for the chips act combined with some other legislation related to o and things like that remarkable that it passed the senate on a very strong bipartisan vote but now it's facing hurdles in the house because when we started on this this journey, um, and really it was motivated by a couple things that may be the same thing when you dig down. Um, the ongoing threat posed by uh, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, which is not only a military threat, it's not, not just a diplomatic threat, I think what makes it more difficult and complex in some ways than even the threat we face from the Soviet Union, is the scope and scale of the economic threat it poses right because for the last three decades both parties pursued a policy uh, of integrating china into the global economy uh, outsourcing in many ways our sort of labor issues our environmental issues uh, to china and the theory was that would moderate their political behavior Uh, there was some logic to that except it sort of completely misunderstood the nature of the chinese communist party and the strategy failed uh, it failed in spectacular bipartisan fashion perhaps the biggest foreign policy failure uh, in in modern times um, and now we're struggling to fix that failure and what happened in the course of the last two years uh, with a global pandemic uh, is that we really discovered how vulnerable our supply chains were to disruption uh, both from China you had in the early days of the pandemic, Um, CCP officials threatening to cut off the export of advanced pharmaceutical ingredients in order to, quote, plunge us into a sea of coronavirus. Uh, But also just at a broader level, the whole just-in-time delivery system that is really a remarkable achievement of the modern global economy, we sort of discovered that the smallest things can disrupt that, and we're still dealing with a severe supply chain crisis. And so I think now you're seeing people in both parties take a step back and say, hey, we need to invest some time and money into onshoring. Uh, the manufacturing of at least critical goods, right? And admittedly, it's very difficult to define critical, right? Because not everything can be made here in America. If we embarked on that strategy, it's called autarky for you fancy political scientists and trade nerds. It's a recipe for disaster. Uh, At least it doesn't play to our strengths in America. Um, But for certain things, right? pharmaceuticals, semiconductors, right? We're all sort of had to learn what the heck a semiconductor is, a chip, and now all you hear is chips, chips, chips. And if you wanna buy a new car you have probably uh, encountered the semiconductor crisis. Like if China took over Taiwan, 90% of the world's semiconductor manufacturing would be uh, concentrated in one geographic area, making us incredibly vulnerable, making it very easy for Xi Jinping to hold the rest of the world hostage because he would effectively control chip production. But I digress. Um, think uh, things that are necessary for weapons to work, not just chips, but things called energetics, things that make weapons move, um, and uh, some other critical technology like AI, robotics, et etc. et cetera. Those are things where we just simply can't afford to be dependent upon the whims or the largess of a foreign country that is at times hostile to us. And so really, this is what's animating the Endless Frontiers Act, as well as I think, put China aside for a second, a desire for America to continue to lead the world, right? To set the standards for, uh, for, for how we think about innovating, for how we invest in next generation technology, and how we just think about a free and open international environment that's conducive to human development, technological development, uh, and growth. Uh, all of those things are conspiring to produce this endless frontiers bill which has a few parts 250 billion dollars worth of investment in federal r d if you compare modern r d investment uh to sort of cold war norms uh we've disinvested dramatically in federal research and development and there are certain things for which the free market is not just going to solve when it comes to these technologies and so there's a productive role that government can play in terms of the initial investment and then hopefully it'll scale and the free market can fill the gap The second thing is an attempt to uh, to sort of uh, modernize the National Science Foundation with a technology directorate that is more focused on these next generation technologies. And the third thing is an effort to ensure that all of this innovation isn't just concentrated on the the left and right coasts uh, of America, that there are regional technology hubs, particularly in the industrial Midwest, And my belief is that Wisconsin would be ideally positioned to be one of those hubs. Now I will say to you, uh, at the time we were discussing this, $250 billion seemed like a massive, massive amount of money. Uh, And I sort of thought it was impossible, it was gonna be impossible to sell conservatives on that. And that's still a a stumbling block. You know, obviously in the intervening months and years, we've spent upwards of $6 trillion. We're fixing, the Democrats are fixing to spend anywhere between three to ten trillion dollars more. Honestly, that's gonna make it much more difficult to get uh, Endless Frontiers passed. Um, and uh, I think that's sort of poisoned the well a little bit. Now, I'm still hopeful, hope springs eternal, still trying to trying to get this done. And this is sort of the infrastructure bill that I wish we would focus on. Um, it's sort of next generation infrastructure that we're talking about. And I do believe you'd see a lot of Republicans and fiscal conservatives that would be amenable to this type of investment, and I think what happened in the Senate is evidence of that provided we put some safeguards into the system, I think particularly for any money that's going to universities, and again, I I just think this is where things are going. We're gonna, there's going to be an expectation, if not a regulation or a law from the federal government that forces universities to ensure that no federal government dollars are going towards researchers that are from China in general or affiliated with the Chinese military in particular. You saw an executive order to that effect in the Trump administration. Notably, the Biden administration has not gotten rid of it entirely, and that's just evidence of the bipartisanship on this issue. I also feel like there's going to be increasing scrutiny of all university endowments in America, uh, particularly uh, scrutiny of any U.S. capital. That is being invested in China in general, and in Chinese technology companies in particular. And we now have all these blacklists that are emerging from the federal government that basically say, "Hey, don't do business with these companies because these companies are either building technology that's being used in uh, an active genocide in Xinjiang province, or being used to build weapons that are intended to kill Americans in a future war." And I just would expect that that is going to become a bigger hot button issue going forward, but. I think if uh, our universities and are, are sort of forward leaning uh, and get ahead of this and recognize the way in which both parties are advocating for what I would call some form of selective economic and financial decoupling from China, I think we'll be able to uh, make an argument for endless frontiers uh, going forward. Um, and again, I just wanna thank you for for taking up the issue at the state level. Uh, what else do I need to you're cover? wanna take some questions? Yeah, happy to take questions. I don't really have a closer. I was trying to think of something very optimistic. Packers are seven and one. How about that? Yeah. Oh, you're going cool. to well. yeah, be, be, <clears> go to the well. Yeah, beat the Cardinals without any of our receivers. What's up with the COVID protocol on that one? It made no sense. It yeah. was our tested negative three times and he couldn't play, but I digress. Okay. Questions? Some questions. Oh, let me just ask, uh, until somebody raises their hand, what about, uh, the idea that some of this could get rolled into reconciliation, would you then, uh, would you like that, that if it were broken up, and some of it were in reconciliation, and then would you vote for such a thing? No, I'm not voting for reconciliation, Okay. Uh, but, uh, and I don't, I, well, I don't know if it could be rolled up into reconciliation based on the rules, I guess you'd need a parliamentarian ruling on that, um. I just sort of think that would poison the well a little bit. Um, And uh, my guess is that at the end of the day, reconciliation is not going to pass. And particularly since we already have a, a higher than filibuster vote in the Senate, it just seems to make sense to me for the house to take up the Senate bill and we can have some amendments that would satisfy the concerns of both the left and the right, and whoever You're pass talking about the, the, the Senate. Uh, the USICA. Yeah, USICA. Okay. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. USICA. Yeah, I'm not endorsing the acronym. The China yeah. Bill. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a question. So, yeah, Julia Jester with AAU, so university groups here. And um, Question about you know the, what you just said about maybe taking up the Senate bill. There are a lot of pieces of the House bill that parallel the Senate bill, but then there are big chunks that, that haven't even been acted on by a bunch of House committees. Yeah. Any thoughts on that or how that might have a path forward? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. It's a legitimate issue. Uh, we, there's a group of us that have been trying uh, to make an argument to all of those committees because the problem is it cuts across all sorts of committee jurisdiction. And in the House, committee chairmen are very jealous of their jurisdiction and they guard it, guard it appropriately. So and I think a lot of what you're seeing in terms of being stalled in the House is a function of that. It's just committee chairmen wanting to do their own thing and say, hey, why are you messing with my jurisdiction? So we've been trying thus far unsuccessfully to overcome that. Um, But I I just think, and not to be too cynical about it, uh, even if you believe sort of the original Endless Frontiers is better than the Senate version, or you just think the Senate version doesn't have critical parts, we kind of have to take the the sort of execute the 70% solution right now. Otherwise, I think we're gonna get 0% of what we want. And it would be so hard, I think, to go back to the Senate with an entirely different bill, or even in the course of a conference committee between the House and the Senate, I just worry that it would die, particularly because of the the infrastructure and reconciliation votes that are looming for everything. So. I guess I don't really have a good answer. I've been trying to solve this issue for a year now, uh, and it failed. Um, Pelosi does not return my phone calls. uh, And uh, some of the committee chairmen, um, yeah, don't wanna play nice with each other. So we'll see. Sure. Um, Can you just talk about the likelihood of the Senate overruling the parliamentarian as a way to include more in the bill that may not be financial to get progressives to vote, it yeah, oh. it could have. Hello, there we go. Uh, it, it could have it. You know, I I worked in the Senate for two years right across uh, the way there at Dirksen, um, and when I was there, that would have been it was 2013, 2015. Now, um, granted, I was like a foreign policy nerd who didn't really <laughs> they didn't allow on the Senate floor. Um, that would have been unthinkable, though. Uh, I mean, absolutely unthinkable. And I do think some of these things, whether it's that, whether it's getting rid of the filibuster, are, are really dangerous um, and going to be poisonous to the institution. And, and it's like, it's kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. We're kind of locked in this like, tit-for-tat escalation cycle where if one party kind of breaks the rules and or just kind of moves the goalposts a little bit, And the other party's going to do it when they're in charge a little bit. And then sooner or later, it's like, it's just total chaos and and pandemonium. Um, And I I think it would be an abuse of the reconciliation process. Now, that being said, it is odd to me uh, in a constitutional republic that there's this unelected person called the parliamentarian who wields so much power over all of our lives. And I don't know how we fix that, but... It's sort of like the CMS director is randomly the most powerful person in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense to my, my small brain. All right, one more, one more question. Back there. Okay. Hi, Julia uh Exact Sciences. I just want to ask a little bit more about the life sciences component of the R&D investment that will come from the Endless Frontiers Act. That's obviously important to this president. It's a big part of <coughs> the current debate on reconciliation and all that. So yeah. I guess I would just be curious to hear about how Endless Frontiers investment and in the life sciences would differentiate itself from arpa H, some of the stuff being discussed on the democratic side. Yeah, I think you probably know better than I like everything included under the life sciences umbrella. When I sort of think about this, and I come at it more from like a, like, as evidenced by my comments, a you know, hardcore US-China competition perspective, I I sort of think about synthetic biotechnology as absolutely uh, essential um, going forward, and it could usher in like the next industrial revolution. I mean, I was out at Ginkgo BioWorks in Boston. I mean, they're literally—you guys are probably doing something similar in a secret bunker in Madison, uh, uh, connected to Lab and uh, and Epic in an underground tube. Uh, yeah. Just put in a good word when the robots take over, put in a good word for me, okay? Uh, Yeah. uh, yeah. Too late. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're literally like printing like the building blocks of life, right? The A's, the T's, the C's, and the G's. And the applications are infinite in terms of what that means for improving people's daily lives, as well as what it means for. Potentially destroying life in the future, right? Let I me mean, think about the ways in which you could weaponize that technology uh, going forward. Um, and I think the pandemic has caused us to think about sort of the worst use case scenarios for hostile foreign governments weaponizing biology. I'm not saying the Chinese released it on purpose. I do think the lab leak hypothesis is most likely. Whatever. Don't I want to get in trouble? Was politics is going to tweet out I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist. Well, we already yeah. did. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> Too uh, but uh, it wasn't until the pandemic, uh, in the midst of an emergency, that the government was forced to throw a lot of money at that problem and build up synthetic biotech foundries in America, make creative partnerships with Ginkgo Bioworks and some other companies. But even then, we were still far behind what the Chinese are investing in that space so that's sort of a tiny corner of life sciences that i'm most focused on but i don't know how the president thinks about that or i'd be curious to hear how you guys think about that um but i prefer we kind of lead uh in that area and set the standards for how that technology could be used particularly given its uh, worst use cases than um certainly the russians or the chinese all right well let's hear it for congressman mike gallagher